The Vincast, a podcast all about wine, wine culture, and wine people, is proudly supported by Vinus, an iPhone app which recognizes any wine from just the snap of a photo. It really is a fantastic way to utilize a piece of technology that you're carrying around with you all the time in an effort to just keep track of wines you're enjoying, you might want to have again, but also share them with uh, other wine lovers like yourself. So whilst you are using your iPhone or even uh, any kind of smartphone, really, did you know that you can actually download and listen to the Vincast at your leisure? even pausing and coming back to it later, rewinding. Um, you don't actually have to listen to it through the website. So all you need to do is um, go to uh, intrepidwino.com and go to the Vincast section and you can download essentially as MP3s any of the previous episodes and put them onto your smartphone. But you can also go to uh, the iTunes store um, and go to the podcast sections and find the podcast there. Uh, there's an, also Stitcher, uh, another fantastic app you can use on a, a smartphone is Player FM. And this way you can, um, you know, Take your time listening to a podcast. Obviously, they are, um, you know, in some cases up to an hour long. So uh, it's not something you can easily do in one sitting. But um, I do suggest people uh, downloading the podcast and let me know how you actually enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Guestbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And boy, oh boy, am I very lucky to be absolutely inundated with guests on the podcast at the moment. Uh, so I'm actually releasing two episodes this week and uh, who knows, I might uh, release two episodes in coming weeks as well. Um, purely by coincidence, uh, my guests for both episodes this week have been uh, Americans, but uh, only one of them is uh, still based in the US. The other, of course, was Brad Hickey, who was on Tuesday's episode and uh, he's based in McLaren Vale. Now, I'm really going to put a bit of a, a shout out here. Uh, I've got some really exciting plans uh, for 2015 and I, I would really love to to get as much feedback and help as possible. So if you can help out in any way, I would love to hear from you. So something I'm planning for episode number 50, uh, which is not too far away, is to actually um, sit down in front of Skype and have listeners have the opportunity to actually call in and chat with me themselves. So uh, if you have any questions about why, about myself, about any of the guests, uh, or if you just want to share your own wine story, please do let me know. You can um, contact me on Twitter, on Facebook, or uh, ideally through the website as well. Now, I also would um, love to hear from any of you who are creative uh, in any way, um, whether you are uh, graphically inclined and um, can possibly help out by uh, designing a logo for the podcast. That would be really fantastic. Or uh, if you are musically creative, creative and you might want to uh, help out by writing and recording a, uh, a piece of music that would be perfectly suited to the podcast uh, as I would love to really lift the profile and the quality of the podcast in general. Now, if you have any other ideas about ways that I can improve the podcast, I would really love to hear from you. So uh, any of the ways that uh, you can get in contact with me, please do seek me out. So as I mentioned, uh, this is the second episode for this week and my second guest is 
Aldi Yarrow, who is uh, behind Vinography, which is probably the biggest wine blog in the United States. Uh, I had the uh, good fortune of uh, meeting him uh, back in 2012, um, obviously when I was traveling, and um, and we both visited Domaine Wachau in Austria, uh, which was, I think, the week after Pro Wine. So he was there at the, as a guest of the Austrian Wine Board. And um, he, of course, dialed in from uh, San Francisco, where he is based. And we had a really fascinating chat about his background and um, and how he approaches wine communication. So I do hope you enjoy the episode. Please let Alder know if you do enjoy the episode, and I will see you on the other side. Uh, Alda, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, uh, especially as I think it's still the weekend where you are. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you are probably very well known as Vinography, uh, which is probably one of the biggest wine blogs in uh, in the United States. Um, it, we're, we're, when did you actually start Vinography? Uh, Vinography started, uh, I'm, uh, you know what, uh, actually... <laughs> I just realized that Vinography's 11th anniversary is today. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry. No, uh, a couple of days ago, 11th anniversary, a couple of, couple of days ago. So January, thank you, January 2004. What do you generally give on the 11th anniversary? Is that? Oh, that, I don't know. It's bronze, <laughs> something. <laughs> so yeah, that, that 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 sounds about right. Bronze age. Um, uh, no, I have, I have no idea. And, and as you can tell from my reaction, I actually completely forgot about it. <laughs> um, and your, so you, you, wine is not actually how you derive your primary income. So wine for you is really just, it's a passion. Am I right? It is a passion. It's become a very serious avocation. Um, I like to refer to it as my second job. Sure. Uh, or my or my night job. Um, by day, I go to uh, an office here in San Francisco, and I help I help run an interactive design agency. I'm the chief experience officer of a company called Chibo. Have you been to Adelaide? Yes, I have. Um, did you see the the chain of um, coffee shops there called Chibo? No, I haven't. No, I I wasn't involved with the uh, with the company Chibo. Uh, at the time that I was in Adelaide, oh, so it wouldn't have jumped out at me. But uh, no, I don't remember seeing those. Um, but when when you actually like, what was it that actually got you really interested in wine? Was there a particular wine or an experience with wine that kind of got you really interested and in, and sort of eventually set you off to 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 start vinography? Well, let me tell you the sort of there there were little tidbits, little you know sort of crumbs in the forest um, for a while. Uh, as I was growing up, I grew up the son of a hippie, hippie single mother, and we really didn't have alcohol in the house at all. I think, in fact, I think we had a, a bottle of Kahlua that sat in our house uh, for ten, maybe twelve years, um, uh, and then I think that was the only alcohol that was really ever ever in our house. Vintage um, Kahlua. Vintage Kahlua. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, when I turned about sixteen or seventeen, I I went after it one day with some friends, and and it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know that that was that was the extent of the alcohol in my house. But I did have a couple experiences with wine growing up. The first was that uh, my father, who I would visit during the summers, uh, lived in Sonoma County, which is where I was born. Okay. And uh, when I stayed with him during the summer, it was an opportune time for his parents to come out and visit. Except he, my father, lived on a commune, and 
it wasn't exactly a place that they liked to hang out. Um, and so to hang out with them, we would often go wine tasting. It was something that, you know, my grandparents were interested in doing and it was nearby. And, um, so I have very early memories of cavorting around the lawns of, uh, you know, some of Sonoma's well-known wineries, the Rodney Strong's and things like that, or going over the hill uh, to Calistoga and visiting Sterling Vineyards. And, um, and so I have, I have memories of visiting wineries and, and I do have one or two memories of, you know, walking up and sort of wondering what the adults were doing and sipping what they were tasting. And by and large, uh, I didn't care for it except for one time, uh, I remember tasting a late harvest Sauvignon Blanc and thinking, wow, this is pretty good. So mm-hmm. that's the, you know, I'm sure um, that sugar would help. Yes. You know, certainly for a, you know, an eight, nine year old palate, but, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so little snippets like that in my childhood, but really no exposure to wine until I got into college and I did an exchange program that allowed me to study for a couple terms at Oxford. And oh. there, there I found myself um, cooking for myself because the food that served in the colleges there was so atrocious in, in the mid-90s. Um, it was totally inedible, even, in, even to my, you know, really um, Philistine palate. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. Well, and to be so, perfectly honest, I think British food is stodgy at the best of times. Yeah, well, back then it really was bad. <laughs> um, you know, it was. I, like, I described it to people as sort of like, "This is what I imagine people serve you in prison." Yeah. Um, and like, so I like would go home and, and <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Time. Except I wouldn't want any more. Um, <laughs> uh, I would go back home and make myself, you know, spaghetti with canned, you know, the, the spaghetti sauce or scrambled eggs or get some ground beef and make some hamburgers or whatever. And I thought to myself, and I, I don't really care for beer. Um, so I wasn't drinking beer with all my friends at Oxford. And so I thought, well, you know, here I am, I'm this young intellectual, so to speak in Europe, uh, cooking my own meals, you know, shouldn't I be having a glass of wine with my dinner? And so I went down to the local, I think it was Oddbin's uh, store there in, in Oxford and I was way too intimidated to talk to anybody. And so I would scan the, you know, the bottom shelf where the wines that I could afford lived and yeah. pick them, pick them out by the label. Um, and you know, so that's how I came across Mateus, you know, the, the absolute, the white Zinfandel of Portugal and, mm-hmm. Um, various other, you know, wines like that. And lo and behold, they were interesting to me. And some of them were better than others. And some of them went better with the food that I was eating than others. And that really was the first time I paid any attention to wine and realized that there was this whole universe of different flavors that was out there. And so I came back to the States and graduated college and uh, sort of was single, didn't have a girlfriend, no pets, uh, was making relatively good money, I thought, at a at a job uh, right out of college, and so I started spending my pocket money on wine and uh, cookbooks and food and teaching myself how to cook. And uh, you know, I also started taking pretty um, uh, you know sort of complete slash compulsive notes at that point um, on what I was eating and drinking, and you know that was sort of. The first day of the rest of my life, so to speak, you know, I became your prototypical wine geek who's just really curious and exploratory and wants to taste as much as he can from as far away places as he can. Now, as far as um, that, that kind of first introduction to wine, being in the UK, um, I, I can imagine it, there probably wouldn't be many much better places to have that opportunity because firstly, you know, you've got access to all the wines of Europe um, and secondly, they're going to be at a reasonably good price. 
Um, well, did you? Did you uh, I, am I wrong? Well, so one, I was poor, like really poor. Yeah, but you, with, <laughs> with the kind of quality you could get for the the same amount of money, I would think it'd be a little bit better. And two, I was stupid. Um, so one of the greatest regrets of my life was I went to I, I I was at Oxford for I don't know seven months or something like that. I joined the mountaineering club there, but if I was really smart, I would have joined the wine society. Because a, a mountaineering club in England, I yes. can't imagine what the point of that. You'd have to go all the way up to Scotland just to do any mountaineering. Well, so we I, well, mostly it was rock climbing uh, that we did, um, right? Okay, <laughs> and, and and I actually got to see a ton of uh, Great Britain as a result. I mean, we did go to Scotland, we did go to Wales, we went all over. It was great. I just it I was it was fabulous. But I should have joined the Wine Society because then I could have been you know when it was too rainy to go rock climbing, I could have been drinking the first growths. You know, in the you know the the the, the master's hall at Christchurch. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, so I so I was poor, and so really, like I was buying five euro, six euro bottles uh, off the bottom shelf at Odd Bins, and not you know, sure, I could have been drinking. Uh, let's see, that was nineteen ninety four. You know, I could have, you know, ha- had I had a little bit of pocket money, I could have been drinking the first growth. So I could have been drinking you know, Grand Cru or Premier Cru Burgundy, but um, it was way too early in my in my exploration and, and I was too intimidated by it all to really, you know, open myself up to say, you know, even the person working at that shop uh, and let them turn me on to anything exciting. So unfortunately, you know, I'd have to say the the most exciting wine that I would have encountered in in those early explorations, you know, would have been a very nice, uh, a very nice Chianti. Uh, you know, yeah, or, or something co- like that. Road, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you returned to uh, California uh, and you sort of started to explore a little bit more, you had a bit more disposable income to spend on wine. Did you have the opportunity to then go out and start visiting wineries? Because San Francisco sure. is quite, quite conveniently located as far as, you know, you've got the Napa Valley, you've got Sonoma, all you know, not much more than an hour away. Absolutely. So that that definitely became something that I started doing. So uh, I went back and explored. In fact, the region that I grew up in. Uh, you know, I would spend summers with my dad uh, in Bodega, California, which is right in the heart of what we call the, the you know the Western Sonoma Coast right now. And so, yeah, I would go up and I'd you know go taste at Joseph Swan and. Um, uh, Hartford family and, and all these places up there in, in Sonoma and the Russian river, um, and over into Napa and explore there as well. So yeah, that became a, that became a fun weekend thing for me to do, uh, by myself with friends or, or occasionally on a date, uh, if I managed to get one. <laughs> and, um, and when you started to take notes about wines and, you know, food, that kind of thing, um, did you sort of decide to sort of start vinography? Because 11 years ago, a wine blog was a pretty strange concept, I can imagine. Um, it was. Just to be honest, still to a certain extent, a strange concept now. Um, mm. was, was that kind of part of the idea behind vinography, was just to kind of keep a record of your notes? Uh, in, in a matter, in some ways, yes. The, to be honest, I had been taking notes pretty assiduously for 10 years by that point um i had i had you know notebooks filled up little you know moleskin notebooks and things like that on the shelf filled up with 
with my notes from from various things, you know, trips that I had taken and 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 meals and and stuff like that. And at that point, I had become you know the wine geek friend, you know, the one that you typically hand the wine list to whenever you go out to eat, the one where you know you're standing in the grocery store and you have you know their number on your speed dial and you call them up and you say, okay, Alder. You know, I'm looking at these five Zinfandels. They're all the same price. Which one should I buy? You know, uh, uh, that sort of, know exactly that sort what that's sort of like. thing. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I'm sure in fact, you do. My my girlfriend uh, does get she she's quite patient with me, which I really appreciate. But you know, with stuff like Instagram, when we go out for dinner, you know, I want to take a picture of the food, and she has to <laughs> sigh and go, "Okay, just get it over with." But put the phone away immediately afterwards. Right. Yeah, so so that was the you know so I was that I was that person, and frankly, I was sick and tired of telling my friends over and over again, you know, what the best Merlot under twenty dollars was, or you know, what restaurant to go out to eat at that I had been at recently in San Francisco. Yeah, uh, and so you combine that with the fact that I was realizing that these notebooks that I was filling up weren't of particular use to me, in the sense that my handwriting is horrible. I can barely read them once I've actually written things down. (laughs) And once I filled them up, they were going on the shelf and not really being looked at ever again. And I thought to myself, well, geez, wouldn't it be nice if I could search those notes and things like that? And so the combination of those two things, plus what I was doing with my day job and the degree to which blogs were starting to become important in the business and marketing world, all of that led me to think, you know what? Why don't I kill three birds with one stone, so to speak? Why don't I start this, you know, start a blog about wine? It'll be a place where I can put stuff. It'll be searchable. I can send my friends there to answer these stupid questions that I'm answering <laughs> over and over again. And I'll learn about blogs in the process and sort of see what the what the big deal is about this. And so, you know, I did this and it turns out that, you know, essentially I was one of the first people who ever had that idea to sure. start a, a blog specifically focused about about wine. And so I found myself in the sort of in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I, 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 you know, when I, you, you literally could go back, I don't, I really don't encourage it because it makes, you know, make me, makes me look pretty stupid and naive when I first started, but you can go back and read the very first posts that I put up and they were, they were in name. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, obviously I started my blog, um, a few years ago, uh, to keep a, a kind of a journal of, um, of my trip around the world on which obviously mm-hmm. I met you on in uh, in Austria when we both happened to be visiting Domain Wachau just after Pro Wine. Um, when we both happened to get lost on the way to Domain oh, Wachau. Oh yeah, I forgot. That was, oh, that was so funny. And I was like, <laughs> are you older? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and kind of the same thing. It was also a way for people back here at home to keep track of what I was doing and, and my, you know, wine adventures and stuff like that. But I'm I'm really nervous to go back and look at my early writings about wineries I visited, you know. And actually, I started in California, and I think, oh my god, I, you know, I you know, even towards the end of my trip, I look I look at some of my writings and go, geez, I was pretty naive. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you, you know, you're you're learning constantly. Um, now, at, at the time, you sort of were the the early days of your wine blog. Were any of the the sort of major wine publications and and critics were they putting any of their kind of reviews and and notes uh, online at all? No, uh, you know, uh, I think at that point Stephen Tanzer might have had a website, uh, but I'm not sure if you could actually access any of his information. 
uh, online, but y- y- you might have been able to. Um, I think Berghound was just getting started. Um, uh, I can't remember when his first issue was. It might he might not have even started yet. Um, you know, you had you had people like you know Neil Martin and Tom Canavan uh, doing stuff online. But but you know they had, they were not big yet, right? They hadn't been they hadn't been sucked into the Wine Advocate and and into other you know publications yet. So really, no. I mean, there was the Spectator online. There okay. was there was eRobertParker.com. So he had a website um, that. But both of those websites you could only get access to if you were a paid subscriber. Right. Okay. Uh, so there was very little. I mean, there, I sh- shouldn't say there was very little. I mean, there were definitely established wine, free wine content destinations on the web. Tom, Tom Canavan's uh, Wine Lovers page was there. Um, Daniel Rogov, the critic in Israel, had been publishing a bunch of his stuff online for a while. Um, uh, and there were a few other sort of independent destinations. But there wasn't a lot. There really wasn't a lot. I guess, you know, people sort of didn't really see what the potential for for that online communication um, platform was. I think I would think even then, you know, obviously the real heavy focus was on on printed stuff. Yeah, and I mean the wine industry is always about five to seven years behind any technological curve out there. So blogs were in two thousand four blogs were really starting to get hot. We had the Drudge Report, you know, you probably remember that when that became a big a big deal and people were starting to use that as an alternative source of news as opposed to the big networks. And so you, you were really starting to see, you know, people paying attention to blogs for the first time, but no, you know, there was nothing in the, in the, in the wine industry. Yeah. It's funny. I, I've only just recently discovered, um, house of cards and, mm. and they talk about in the first season, they talk about, you know, this, obviously it's a, it's not a real website slug line going, Oh, you know, more people going to this. It's like, yeah, but we knew that about five years ago at least. Right. <laughs> Um, so initially did you, what was the reaction you were getting from people? Like, did it take a little while for people to kind of, um, discover you and engage with what you were writing? Were you predominantly sort of just writing, um, your impressions of, of wine? Were you writing any kind of article based stuff? No, no. I mean, it was it was very casual. I mean, like a lot of blogs, it started as you know essentially my own personal wine diary, and I would put things, you know, I put stupid things in there. Like I think one of my first posts was something like, "Look, you know, the Wine Spectator gave the 2001 Piedmont uh, Piedmont vintage, you know, 98 points. Isn't that cool? (laughs) You know, that was about it, right? Um, Just stupid stuff like that. Um, But then you know, I would have a wine, and I would. I would write down, you know, a tasting note and what I thought of it and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, some interesting things happened in the early days. The first thing was that after about three or four weeks, I found myself writing every day on the blog. And wow. it, it's clear that it became a creative outlet for me. Um, you know, I did a lot of writing classes in, in college and um, I have a photography degree. And at that time, I wasn't taking many photographs. And so I think it just filled that creative, a little bit of a creative void in my life that, that I, I needed. And, and so I really enjoyed the process of writing. And so that, that became a lot of fun. And, you know, three or four weeks in, I checked 
the statistics, you know, the analytics on the site. And sure enough, my 15 friends had all come and played a visit. Um, and so I was like, oh, great, good. You know, these people are actually paying attention when I tell them to go look at the blog instead of pestering me with their questions. Um, and I, and I left it at that. And, you know, I kept up, you know, writing, doing what I was doing. And occasionally people would start commenting, which was very cool, very exciting when somebody actually commented on something I wrote and I, I didn't actually know who it was. And then I went back and I checked the statistics a couple months later and I nearly lost it because there were thousands of people coming to my site. Wow. And I had no idea how they were getting there. I, you know, I, that, that's maybe slightly disingenuous of me. Um, you know, when I built the site, I, having worked in the internet industry, I knew a thing or two about search engine optimization. And so I built the site to be very Google sticky, right? To, 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 you know, to, to show up very well in Google. Um, Which these uh, days with, you know, such platforms as WordPress and, and um, Squarespace, you know, that's functionality that kind of build into it. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they tell you, okay, just put some words in and we'll handle the search engine optimization for you. I would think that back then you really needed to know how to sort of, put certain things on the website to make sure that you were going to come up, you know, nice and high on those search feeds. Yeah, no, it was all very manual. I coded the site myself, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, definitely. Um, uh, and so that, that I was sort of taken aback by, by how many people were, were coming. And so I immediately started spell checking all of my posts, which I, <laughs> which I had, which I hadn't done up until that point. Um, and, and, you know, very quickly thereafter, after uh, sort of resigned myself to, okay, I'm, I'm actually writing for an audience here. Um, and what does that mean? And, and really thinking about, okay, well, let me use complete sense really and try to make this more, you know, I wanted to pay off the effort and the interest that people were bringing, that were bringing people to my website. And so I started taking it much more seriously as if, you know, I was a columnist and people mm. were, you know, people were listening. And, and, you certainly can, you know, can trace the evolution of my competence as a writer and my knowledge of wine through those through those ten years pretty clearly. Uh, you know, I tried to get better quickly and pay attention and 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 do a good job. And and or in the early few years, you know, when there were only you know four or five wine blogs on the internet, you know, traffic growth was pretty logarithmic. And uh, and yeah, and then I would say probably eleven months in or something like that. I started receiving bottles of wine, um, ah. which was, which was just staggering. I mean, unsolicited, I, unsolicited. So, the, I mean, they, and that how was how did they find you know, out where to send it to? Or did you, or did you provide an address? Or uh, yeah, so they had to, they had to actually solicit an address. You know, okay. they, they didn't go stalk me and find out where I live. But sure. um, uh, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, it was it was a you know it was a, it was a shock that anybody wanted to send me some wine. And I, I have to, I must admit, you know, when I first started the thing. You know, I I had my own little fantasy of being a restaurant reviewer and a wine reviewer, and I thought, oh, maybe someday somebody will actually send me some wine for free. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Um. You know, and 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 lo and behold, you know, about a year later, uh, somebody did, and uh, it was very exciting, and um, and that was, you know, the trickle became the stream, became, you know, the the you know the floodgates opening, um, and now, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, most people laugh when I say it, but now it's a real problem. I mean, I get, I, I, I have to very deliberately try to reduce the flow of wine to my door because it's just a ton of samples. Well, I guess that one of the benefits is that 
your friends aren't going to be at the wine shop going, oh, I'll just call Alda and ask what I should get. They just come to your house and say, Alda, can I have some free bottles, please? <laughs> you know, I've got all of my neighbors trained to do that now <laughs> because invariably, you know, there are either duplicates that that uh, people send me that need to be given away or, um, you know, bottles that I've opened that afternoon that there's no way we're going to get through at home. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I've certainly got the neighbors trained and, and, you know, I'm a popular person to invite to parties because I usually show up with a, with a case or two of, of samples in hand to, uh, to share with everyone. Mm. Oh, no, we're out of time to go to the, the, the liquor store. Oh, that's okay. Just invite Alda. He'll bring some bottles. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there uh, someone um, that you knew of, like, a, I don't know, um, a well-known wine person who commented on your blog one day that made you go, Oh my God, that person's reading what I'm writing. That's, that's amazing. Uh, well, certainly I, I got a, I got a big chuckle out of the fact that, uh, I did an April fool's post three or four years in maybe, maybe it was a little bit longer than that, where I announced that the wine spectator was buying vinography, (laughs) um, and uh, and that in 20 days I would be shutting the website down, except for people who chose to pay $69 a month or something oh like that. Um, and first of all, you wouldn't believe the absolute hate mail I got when I did that because it was a very credible uh, post. You know, it was very difficult to tell that it was satire. Um, uh, and then Marvin Schenken came on <laughs> and commented and said uh, that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes, that was kind of funny, but, uh, you know, I do remember, you know, Robert Parker has, uh, historically had a very antagonistic relationships with, with bloggers. Um, but I, you know, he, I, I do remember at one point he mentioned on his, uh, his bulletin board that, you know, most blogs were crap, but that, that vinography guy, he's okay. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I definitely, there were definitely some surprising moments there where I'm like, oh wow, people are really really paying attention to this. I think maybe it's a, probably it was a little bit easier for him to say that considering that you guys are in pretty much opposite corners of the country. He's up uh, in, he's up, he was up in Massachusetts. Yeah, I mean well, that certainly doesn't <laughs> stop that certainly like doesn't stop bump, him. It's not like you're going to bump into him in the street, you know, in the streets of Boston. <laughs> well, that never stopped him from from slandering anybody in particular um uh, if he if he happened to th- think uh something untoward of them, but uh um yeah, I mean, you know, he doesn't he doesn't he looks, I think, at bloggers as some sort of competition, not, not in the sense that he takes them seriously enough to believe that they're going to steal his readership, but um, somehow that, and, and I can't claim to really understand this, that somehow you know, bloggers are looking to capitalize on his fame by criticizing him. And so mm-hmm. he has some sort of you know, some sort of argument along those lines. Um, and so he's, he's never been a particular fan. Um, so, you know, I, when, when he did say that he thought my stuff was, was halfway decent, uh, I, I took it as a great compliment. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you know, there's still ongoing discussions, you know, in the same way between sort of restaurant critics and food bloggers, you know, mm, for but sure. There's still, there's this really antagonistic relationship between them. Yeah. Um, so when what, what was sort of when did vinography get really massive um, to the point where you uh, you began I think you became the California correspondent if that's the right word for uh, for Chances Robinson's purple pages. Uh, 
Not California. Um, uh, the uh, I, I she asked me to start writing a column uh, three years ago uh, about the American wine scene. My, right, my job okay. is my job is not to review California wines. Um, oh, okay. I think. She, I think she might have me do that if I had a lot more time and sure. didn't need to actually make a living. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I, I just don't do that. Um, so 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 my job is mostly editorial rather than than criticism for her site. But I would say you know I starting in about two thousand six, uh, they came up with the Wine Blog Awards. Uh, an organization, this sort of independent organization uh, that, that that Tom Wark founded, um, along with a guy named Joel Vincent, and I started winning most of those awards. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, best wine blog, best writing on a wine blog, and and I won a lot of them, you know, early on. And I, you know, as soon as Savure started doing their you know their awards i started winning those awards and so so i i start i won a bunch of awards up front and i think that that largely those were that was largely the thing that really sort of brought more attention to my site and then um yeah and then sort of in the 2011 to 2013 zone you know i chances brought me on i got nominated for a james beard award uh and that was sort of the you know, that was the big, you know, where people really started paying attention in, a, in any sort of quote unquote mainstream way, which is you can't really ever say that about wine because wine isn't really mainstream at all. But um, that was that was when I started really getting the most attention. Did you have much of an international following early on or did it take a little while before you broke out um, and, and sort of found more people reading your stuff, you know, in the UK or you know, even what? in Australia? I have to say that international was never and has never been uh, a part, uh, you know, a major part of my followership. You know, early early on, you know, there were about eight percent of my traffic came from various international places, and now it's only about twenty percent. It's been so long since I've actually looked at those statistics, yeah. um, but it's it's not it's not high. Um, and you know, one of the things that I was quite interested to see is whether that would go up at all once I did start writing for Jancis and it's, it's barely moved, um, okay. since, since that. So it's not suddenly like I have exposure to all these, all these Europeans who are now interested in, in what I have to say, ironically. Yeah. I, I, you know, cause Max Allen, um, who is an Australian, uh, wine writer, journalist, he, he contributes every so often, I think still to the Jancis website. I must ask him if he kind of, had a little bit more of a, a following, at least over in you know Europe and the UK. After he started contributing some stuff about Australia to her website, um, now you obviously when when I met you, uh, you were there at the invitation, I guess, of the Austrian Wine yeah. Board, um, Austrian Wine Marketing Board. Yeah, so, so, I mean, that's... so you've had the opportunity to 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 travel. Certainly overseas, um, you know, at the invitation of uh, various uh, entities. What have been some of your really memorable experiences? Yeah, I mean that. The, um, you know, just thinking back to your earlier question about sort of you know when when you really started to get attention. I mean that the getting invited on press trips as a legitimate journalist is certainly a measure of the degree to which people started paying attention to me. Um, and I'm trying to think back when the first what the first trip was that I did. And I, 
I'm actually, I don't, I don't know that I can remember. I think certainly South Africa was one of the earlier ones in 2008. Wow. Um, when I went to South Africa for the Cape Wine uh, Festival, and that was that, and and you know, this is also answering your direct question. That was certainly one of my more memorable trips. Um, they just do such a fabulous job uh, bringing journalists over there, um, and I fell in love with the country and the wines and the people, uh, which is precisely, of course, what they want you to do. Um, but yeah, I I have been unbelievably lucky in uh, in the sort of the kind of perks that have arisen based on the success that I've had with the blog. I, if I was young and single and didn't have a family and didn't have to, you know, really make much of a living, I could probably be traveling, you know, two to three out of every four weeks on someone else's dime. Um, I just, I'm con, you know, I constantly get invitations to, to, to go on press trips all over the place. So, you know, I've been to, Greece, Turkey, Italy, various places in France, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Chile, Argentina, um, Germany, Austria, uh, where else? Hungary, um, you know, just, just all over. Uh, um, and it's been, it's really, it's been wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky to be able to do that. And, uh, yeah, so when we met, uh, I was on a week long, maybe 10 day long trip, uh, sponsored by the Austrian wine marketing board. Um, that was my first trip to Austria and just an opportunity for me to, you know, get to know some of the regions there. And so we were going to, we spent a good deal of time in the Vahau and, uh, went to the falls and, and, um, uh, and down to Bergenland and, um, you know, sort of did the circuit. Yeah, and you know, I, I seem to remember you had a, a really, really packed schedule. I can't imagine what that would have been like. To uh, you know, it would have taken you like a couple of weeks to recover just just from that um, that schedule. Well, it's very it's very heartening to hear somebody say that because most of the time when I tell people that I go on these trips and it's actually work. People are like, oh, yeah, right, work. Someone else is paying for you to eat great food and taste great wine, and they're flying you all over, and you've got a driver and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, our heart really bleeds for you, Alder. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. Uh, I'm seeing three, maybe four wineries a day, you know, getting up at 8, finishing at 10 p.m., um, you know, and essentially interviewing people for eight hours straight yeah, which uh, you have to take notes and then you actually have yeah. to log that and then you actually have to generate some content based on that because obviously they're not they're not inviting you just to oh just come and have a nice time. Right. So they want you they 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 want you know to you to write about them. Yeah. So yeah, so it is it's it's very it's very difficult work. Um and I don't come back particularly refreshed from those trips, but I am energized by them in the sense that, mm -hmm. you know, I love nothing more than exploring a new place and trying wines I've never tried before and trying great wines and sort of getting immersed in, in a culture. It's, I, it's one of my favorite things to do. So, and, and, and uh, I don't know about you, but you know, whenever I'm out you know, at a bar, restaurant, or in a shop and I see a wine you know, from a region that I've been to or even better from a winery I've been to, you kind of you go, oh, and you feel that kind of connection to it. Mm -hmm. I, re I really enjoy doing that, you know, particularly when you, when you discover something and you can kind of, you, you can always carry that with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, 
what's really interesting to me, and and I I don't pretend that this is quite the same way for other people, though I suspect there's there's something to it that's just about the way that our human we work as human beings. But I really don't have a deep understanding of a wine region until I have visited. There is something about being able to make the connection in your mind's eye between you know the geography and where you are and how things are situated and experiencing the climate as you're there and what's in the glass there you know I certainly attend plenty of tastings that you know as various trade groups roll through San Francisco here mm. um, you know and, and I for instance I did that for a couple of years with New Zealand uh, you know, the New Zealand Wine Commission would come to town and I would taste a bunch of New Zealand wines and they'd be great and I'd write things about them. But I just, th- when I went to New Zealand and I experienced and sort of like, oh, this is what Marlboro looks like. Oh, this is what Central Otago looks like. Oh, this is what Martinborough looks like. Like, not until I was there did I really feel like I connected at the deepest level with with the wines. And so... Um, and so all of that, all of that surfaces in that moment, as you so aptly describe, when you see that wine on the list and you're like, oh yeah, that, you know, but ultimately it really is about context without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, um, one of the things that I really like about, um, your approach to wine communication is it's, it's very heavily geared towards education. It's about empowering people to kind of discover their own understanding of wine you know discover what they like that kind of thing and, and that's i'm assuming that's kind of you know in in your own way of um improving the way that you could uh assess wines you developed the the cards which had the kind of it was almost like a cheat sheet as far as you know flavor compounds and and elements of the wine and you know a little bit different to the the the, what, the flavor wheel yeah, well, so I I have a love hate relationship and mostly hate relationship with the aroma wheel. So obviously, right. as a, you you get a certain way into your appreciation of wine, and that thing you know comes up, right? You learn about it in whatever way you learn about it, whether you see it sitting for sale for six dollars, you know, at some wine wine store counter, or uh, you know, you you come across somebody mentioning it in something that you read, and that thing's totally befuddling to me. You know, on the one hand. I recognize the unbelievable value of providing somebody a lexicon or a taxonomy of different flavors and aromas of wine because of the ways that our brains work. And we can get into this in in, in more detail in a moment about why having those words on the page are so useful. But um, I could never never understand how anybody could actually use that wheel in a way that was particularly helpful in the sense that I had no idea why it was round. It was really big and wouldn't fit in my wallet. And the proximities and relationships between the various elements on the wheel made no sense to me. And then to top it all off, I was tasting and smelling a ton of different things in wine that didn't appear on that wheel. And so I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so essentially, I created my own. And my criteria were, it had to fit in my damn wallet. Uh, it had to have as many flavors and aromas on it as I could fit. And, you know, it definitely didn't have to have this weird concentric circle pseudo set of relationships that, to my mind, didn't make any sense or, or help me in any way, shape, or form at all. So I created that that wine card and, uh, you know, I did it in English and blah, blah, blah. And then I think somebody 
offered to translate it to Spanish for me. And I thought, oh, that's great. Cool. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and then, you know, basically over the, you know, the following years, eventually somebody would find it, you know, who spoke some other language and they would offer to translate it for me into that language. And that's how I ended up with seven languages. And I actually have the Chinese version uh, now that I have to, that I have to do as well. So soon I'll have it in, in eight languages. Um, so that, but, but, uh, that is a very useful tool for somebody who's just starting out tasting wine. It, it was Absolutely. for me, it was for me because our brains are actually literally not structured to make connections between language and smell and taste. It's the, the wiring is different for those two sets of senses. I think even for, for very experienced wine professionals, you know, they, they can often be a big disconnect and, 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 and a little bit sort of misleading. Um, you know, I, I made a note the other day about, um, a Pasito wine, you know, it's going it's, it's sitting in a barrel and it's not full. So there's going to be a bit of reduction. And so mm. I used the word, you know, very reduced and they thought I'm, they thought I meant it was reductive. So, mm. so you know, the, just subtle differences in language can be so such a minefield um, for for people. Um, even yeah, again, even for for wine professionals. But that uh, one of the things that I think is is most valuable, um, you know, and it's the same reason that I travelled and went to um, wine regions and saw wines in the context was there's so much more, um, I, I guess, value. That's a stronger kind of connection with visual cues and and i'm guessing that's sort of part of the reason behind you um developing um this fantastic book i actually have in front of me the essence of wine um and obviously with your photographic background i'm sure that kind of played into it as well yeah so absolutely i mean that that book the project that led to that book grew out of that intersection between that that aroma card itself and 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 the the value of just thinking through those different flavors and aromas, my own sort of visual tendencies. I'm a very visual person. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I with my photography degree and blah blah blah. Um, and also, you know, the my appreciation for what really lies at the core certainly in the beginning of my appreciation for wine which is to say that the reason that wine was magical to me at the beginning and to a certain extent still is has to do with the fact that you stick your nose in the glass and you never know what it is you're going to smell you know mm -hmm. and and the idea that you could you could smell jasmine, you know, the flower jasmine, or you could stick your nose in and smell chocolate, or, you know, you could taste passion fruit in a wine that's made just from grapes and air and sunlight and thyme, and maybe a little oak, um, is magical to me. And those flavors are so vivid in the glass that the word on the page doesn't do them justice. And so yeah. I thought I, I thought to myself as I was making those cards, I thought, you know, this little tool is super useful. I'm really glad I'm doing this, but wouldn't it be cool to just linger on one of these flavors for a moment and talk about it and think about it and, you know, and see it? Because each one of these things, you know, whether I'm writing down cucumber or passion fruit or whatever, each one of these things is a beautiful, beautiful object and part of the bounty of 
this life that we get to live. And wouldn't it be cool to have this little project to celebrate each of these individual flavors and aromas and give them, give them their day in the sun, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and so I, I came up with the idea of this, this project. And, um, one of the other things that fed into it too, was this idea that as somebody who tastes thousands of wines a year, like I get to taste some pretty amazing things in the glass and things that I know that, you know, sometimes my wife or other friends that I'm talking with wine about haven't encountered, you know, the idea that a wine could taste like lychee just for a lot of people is like, you're, what, you're kidding. What, what mm. wine tastes like lychee, you know, mm. or they've never had a wine that tastes like chocolate. And so part of it for me was also, you know, you can taste those things in the glass and you just have to find the right wine to do it. And wouldn't it be great to, to show people and point people to the wines that will broaden that sensory uh, landscape that they have and, and increase the, the geography that they have uh, in their minds for the flavors and aromas of wine. And so all those things sort of made me think that this, this project would be a really good idea. And what I had to do was find somebody who could actually photograph it because, it, you know, I have a photography degree, but the kinds of photographs that I can and do take tend to be of old abandoned buildings and, you know, detritus and, and rotting things and, uh, you know, black and white Ansel Adams-y kinds of landscapes and not gorgeous, luscious, full color studio, still life food photography. And so mm. I needed to find somebody, um, uh, that could, that could do it. Um, and, and I did find somebody and interestingly, um, uh, I think she was based in uh, Australia. Uh, are you familiar with the blog What Katie Ate? Um, uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. So uh, I think she's she's either in Australia or in New Zealand. Um, but she is one of the greatest food photographers I've ever I've ever seen. And uh, I wrote, you know, as soon as I saw her photographs, I was like, "Now this this is the gal." Yeah, she lives in Sydney. Um, uh, and um, she, uh, I loved her photographs. Um, uh, her name is Katie Quinn Davies. And so I wrote to her immediately and I said, Hey, uh, I, you know, I've got this idea. I have this project and I never heard from her. <laughs> and so I was like, well, okay. And, you know, I wrote to her several times and I think at that point she had just been discovered. Um, and uh -huh. she was in the middle of writing a book, uh, and doing a book. And so I'm sure she didn't have time for, for this kind of stupid free pro bono project. Um, and so I was like, Oh rats. And so then, you know, I kept my eye out and then I found another photographer who was just as good. Um, and she was the photographer for my friend, Joyce Goldstein's, uh, a book. And so, uh, Joyce is a chef and a, a restaurant consultant and, um, writer in San Francisco. And so I asked Joyce for an introduction to Lee Beisch, um, which she gave me and I reached out to Lee and I said, Hey Lee, I've got this idea. You don't, you know, you don't know me, but I know Joyce and blah, blah, blah. And she said, Oh, that would be great. Mm -hmm. And, and off we went. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really beautiful, but you know, very striking. Um, I, I, I'm, I didn't realize this, but you know, obviously I, I can see, um, immediately that kind of that food photography sort of influence. Uh, on the photos it's uh it's it's beautiful um and i, I like that you both it, you know they've it's very simple a simple way of describing the kind of the characters but there's so much more kind of life and and an emotion that you're connecting with them i i, I like that kind of because for me 
um, drinking wine or you know tasting wine, there is there, there has to be an emotional element to it. You know, you cannot completely divorce yourself from um, you know looking at something and 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 thinking about you know personal experience that kind of thing. And and I like that that even you know looking at just a fruit and sort of talking about you know its origin and how it's revered in parts of the world that kind of thing really does just add so much more to the experience of just you know the simple act of sort of finding a, a fruit-based compound in a wine um and um, i'm interested because for for each um kind of characteristic you have uh, examples uh you know wines from around the world um, what was the kind of the idea behind that? How did you kind of select those specific wines for you know one of the one of those um, compounds? Sure. Well, so the 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 process went something like this. I I keep you know as I said I taste thousands of wines a year and they all go into most of them go into a database uh, a big spreadsheet or a series of spreadsheets that that I've amassed over the years and so I can search for keywords right so. I'll, you know, uh, you know, we're going to do the lemon shot. Um, and so I go into my Excel spreadsheets and I type in lemon, uh, and I see what wines pop up. That's, that's Um, kind of what I thought it was. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, so, so that's the beginning, right? So I've got, all right, well, so, you know, I've got 900,000, 2000 wines where I've used the word lemon. And so then I sort of say, all right, well, they have to be good scoring wines, wines Mm -hmm. that I actually liked. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that narrows it down. And then uh, they have to be wines that are commercially available to people. So the fact that I tasted, you know, uh, 1968, you know, Pouligny Rome you know, that tasted like lemon oil, you know, I'm not going to put that in the book because nobody's going to be able to get that. Um, uh, and they had to be relatively recent vintages in the sense that what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to give somebody recommend a wine that only tasted like something, you know, after it was 10 years old or 20 years old. Um, and so again, we're, we're narrowing the field here, narrowing the field here. And then, uh, it was very important for me, uh, because that's just one of the great things about the wine world is that there be a great amount of geographic distribution of the wines. And so I tried to choose wines, uh, that were from all over the world, from as many different places as I could that were great, that tasted or smelled of that thing in a fairly dominant way, Mm. um, and uh, that people could buy online, and so the combination of all those factors led me to a much, you know, smaller subset of wines, as you can imagine. And so those were the ones that I ended up recommending on the on the for each of the the aromas and flavors. I have to say, uh, I think it's probably one of the um, best um, sort of for someone who um, is maybe starting out with wine or can find the kind of the idea about finding different elements, you know, looks at the taste and note goes, how are you finding all these things? I think this is probably one of the best resources, um, for people out there. And particularly, um, with those beautiful visual cues, it, it, it is really strengthening that understanding of, of how, um, a wine can be broken down and assessed. Um, how, speaking of, um, commercially available, um, can people, uh, order the book? Uh, online? Yes. Uh, it is currently sold out. Um, but okay. the, the second printing, uh, which is great. I'm, I'm thrilled that I was actually able to sell all the copies that I printed first. Um, so the second printing is literally on a boat from China it, it, that's going to dock in Los Angeles, I think, 
end of next week. Um, and so starting about February 1st, uh, they will be available to ship again. I am taking back orders uh, in this time that it's sold out on my website and, and, and people are, are, are buying them in anticipation of it being available again. So yes, um, it's, they're available on my website. Uh, for anybody who wants the ebook version, the ebook version is available in the iTunes uh, sh- store as well as on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. But if you want the if you want the physical book, you got to go to Vinography.com and um, and click on the page there that that uh, that, that sells them, and, and I'll have it shipped out to you uh, once it um, once it's available. Um, unfortunately, as, as you did for me, and I was yeah. super excited when I actually got it in the post, and. Uh, I also do really appreciate you giving me a bit of a shout out as a, a, a backer on the Kickstarter. Um, oh no, absolutely! Anybody who anybody who 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 you know contributed significantly to the to the Kickstarter thing, you know that's you know they, I gotta say thank you. I mean, you know, you and and all those other folks who gave who gave me money. You know, the idea that you know you didn't know if you were ever going to get anything, right? I could have run off to Bermuda. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's I couldn't have done the project without folks like you, and so it was hugely hugely valuable to me to have your support. And um, so yeah, so no, that's was, great. And yeah, I was I was thrilled to be able to support in, in some small way. Yeah, well, so and just for any of your Australian um, uh, listeners. Um, I will ship the book to Australia, but um, I learned the hard way that uh, it's actually a lot more expensive <laughs> than I yeah, thought. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, um, it, it is. We are a little bit uh, isolated down here. Well, I, you know, just the book weighs almost four pounds, yeah. and shipping anything that heavy overseas is just outrageous. Mm. I mean, it's it's literally like forty to forty five dollars a book for yep. me to ship that thing. It's uh, I, I sort of blew my mind when I realized that. And yet in spite of that, people still order stuff out of the US through Amazon because it still ends up being cheaper yeah. than buying it here. But yeah. anyway, um, obviously the, the website is vinography.com um, and people can follow you on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, generally, you're just at vinography on Twitter and Instagram, uh, uh, that sort I- of thing. On Instagram, no, I, I'm at Alder Yarrow, A L D E R Y A R R O W. But yeah, on on Twitter, I'm on at Vinography. Um, I'm also on Delectable for anybody who uses that app. You can sort of follow along with what I'm drinking and, and enjoying, and um, and then you can also find me on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Um, again, Alder, I uh, really do appreciate you making some time for me. Thank you very much for being on the Vincast and. Hopefully, uh, before too long, we actually get to bump into each other again, IRL in real life. I would really enjoy that. We didn't get a chance to share nearly enough uh, wine together when we when we bumped into each other that rainy day in, in Austria. So I, I look forward to it, and, and it was great, my great pleasure. Thanks I enjoyed again. the conversation. All right, thanks, Alda. Sure. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you let myself and Alder know if you did. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at IntrepidWino, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Vincast. You can visit me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash IntrepidWino, and best of all, you can come to IntrepidWino.com, which has not only all of the previous episodes of The Vincast, but also lots of different writings I've done in the last few years. I really do look 
look forward to hearing from you more. Um, jump onto iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Player FM, subscribe to the podcast so you can download them as soon as they go up. And I would love to hear from you with a rating or a review. Uh, I hope you enjoyed both of this week's episodes. I've got lots and lots more coming up. Really exciting. I have been James Scarsbrook, a.k.a. The Intrepid Wino, and this has been The Vincast. Until next time, bye. Bye.